Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Echo Competitive Programming Podcast. We're your hosts today. I'm Roman. I'm Caitlin. And we're joined here today by Angus Ritosa, current student at UNSW and current president of the Competitive Programming and Mathematics Society. Angus, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us your year, degree, and one fun fact about yourself unrelated to competitive programming? Yep, so I'm Angus. I'm in third year doing computer science and maths. And one fact about myself is that I'm from Adelaide. Awesome, awesome. Okay, great. Yeah, so just to get us started, Angus, can you tell us a bit about like what exactly competitive programming is? Yep, so competitive programming, the very short description is solving programming questions in like a timed condition. The slightly longer version is that they're more algorithmic questions. So it's more about how you actually solve the problem rather than how to code it up. So if you think if you've done comp 2521 or 3121, those algorithms courses, it's sort of those questions related to that sort of thing. So you're given a problem, you have to come up with an algorithm to solve it, and then you code up that algorithm in your programming language of choice and you submit it. And if it passes all the test cases, that's good. And you normally have between two to five hours to solve some number of these questions. Why do you like competitive programming? Because this is like quite obviously a very big hobby of yours, right? It's like, there's a challenge of it. And the questions that I find them genuinely interesting. So I'm someone who like doesn't just like doing repetitive stuff or a lot of um, like when it comes to doing the math courses and you get all those like, and first you've got like the Maple TAs and second you've got like the problem sets that they give you, like those sort of stuff. Like I, I struggle to get through that. Um, but there's something about competitive programming that I just enjoy and I'm doing problem solving that I actually like. Because it's different from uni where you just do what the lecturer tells you to do. Like you've got these questions, whereas I guess I actually like the questions that I've encountered and I will solve them. Sometimes you solve a problem, you get that like wow of just, that was like kind of amazing. And you know, you have that moment of that's really cool. I don't know how I came up with that, but I did. Um, or sometimes you won't solve a problem and someone will either tell you the solution or you'll read it up and you'll at the end you'll be like, that's just, I don't know, I, I get a sense of just like, you, all this work, all this like ideas and it just comes at the end to like some elegant often solution and just like the um, kind of um, amazement I get from that, mm. I really enjoy and that keeps me going. Yeah, I think, we, I think everyone who's taken a coding course at least once in uni can relate to that, you know, experience of, like being stuck on a question for like hours and hours and hours and then finally something like out of nowhere just pops into your head like yeah. for a lot of people it's like a really euphoric feeling and then you code it up and then you spend another 10 hours trying to de- debug your solution <laughs> yeah that can sometimes change <laughs> i guess like other than having like a bit of a heavier focus on algorithms like what else makes competitive programming different to non-competitive programming so one thing is the time um pressure so if you're doing you know real programming you're working at a company or something you're working on a large code base with a large group of people and what you're working on you're working on for months years or you know some long length of time in competitive programming the code you write has to survive till the end of the contest maybe at most five hours often just two hours and so you're not doing the whole documentation sort of stuff that you would do normally um cp gets a bad rap for um having badly written code this is true to an extent, although I would say that um, writing good code still helps, but a lot of people, myself included, often don't do it, um, and it bites you in the back. But that's, I guess, the main difference is that the code you're writing is for a short period of time rather than for a long period of time. So when you go to these competitions, what's, what's the structure like? What usually happens? So um, in a competition... So you've either got, you've got like online ones and in-person ones, the main difference being that one of them, you know, physically in a contest hall and one of them you're just sitting at home on your computer. I guess you log into the contest site. Sometimes if a thousand people are doing it at once, it takes a while to load the first question. That's always a bit nerve wracking. And then you, know, you read them um, and then you try and solve them as fast as you can. Most of the time, either in your head or on paper, trying to come up with the algorithm. And ideally when you solve it, you can code it up fairly quickly, submit it, and then if you're lucky, it passes. If you're unlucky, you spend some amount of time debugging. That's generally how they look like. Mm. Just like in terms of them being like both online and in person, has that always been a thing or is it more just because of COVID? So it has always been a thing. Um, so there are some websites, um, Code Forces at Coda, that run approximately weekly contests for people all over the world. And these are always online. 
and big companies like Google, Facebook, they're the main ones. They run their own annual competitions and those are online unless you make the very top, in which case you go to the finals in person. But obviously COVID has meant that everything's been online for a period of time. And so the big uni competition, which is ICPC, which um, you may have got emails about from Ravine or something, those competitions, um, the finals from them have been moved online during COVID and would normally be in person. Which ones do you prefer, online or in person? In person, definitely, just because... So during the competition, most of them are individual. There are some team ones. I mean, doing in person makes it feel more real, but also adds to the nerves of it. But the nice thing is the before and the after. Like afterwards, in an in-person competition, you can immediately chat to other people. You have all that social aspect afterwards. Whereas online, you kind of finish it and then uh, maybe chat for a bit, but then move on. Very lonely. How's um, yeah. how is the like the uh, for the in-person ones? What's the structure like? Like, is there like a waiting room, and then do you all just like go funnel into a room with your computers and sit down, or? So, um, depending on what sort of competition. So, for example, I mean, most of my uni's been COVID, but during um high school when I was doing these competitions, you have um the international competition, um which I went to. In that one. You, they have other events going on, um, like unrelated to programming. Like you're in a different country, you get to tour the country. But for the actual competition, you kind of line them outside, they let you in. You sit down and often you wait a long time. I remember one of, um, when I was there, one of the contests, they probably hadn't thought through the bathroom situation and everyone was going beforehand. And the contest start was delayed by half an hour because of a long <laughs> queue to the bathroom. And so I was just sitting at my desk as they were able to use the bathrooms. And so you sit there nervously making small talk with the person next to you who you probably haven't met before because it's like random seating for like half an hour until finally they're like five minutes till the start and you sit there nervously looking at the big clock on the wall until you get started essentially. In person, do they allow like food in the like competition room? They do. And often... I mean, often in like the big competitions, like on your computer, you'll have like a button where you can like request food and like bring it to you. That's actually, wow. yes, yeah, so that's like good fun. Like I'll be in the middle and like, like often I'll have like, I don't know, an apple or banana or maybe like, because of a banana and then like two minutes later, someone will bring a banana to you. <laughs> like the novelty of that on its own is already pretty cool. And then like, but yes, I remember once um, during in-person competition, someone said to me, they could always tell when I solved the problem. This is in context of Addis, um scoreboard live. They told me, I could always tell when I solve problems. I'd either like get up and go for a walk or I'd just like eat food or something. And that's what I normally do. When I, when I finish with a question, I'll just take like a one minute, nothing super long because you're in a timed environment, but like a one minute break where I just eat something or have a drink and just relax because I find that um, helps me. It's almost like a tell, like you're playing poker. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of the food thing, it's, it's like for these longer competitions, I would imagine you get quite hungry, right? Like you say you ate like what, like chocolate bars or something or like an apple, some fruits. What sort of like, are you allowed to bring in an entire meal into the auditorium? Normally they have some sort of rule, like as long as it's not overly loud or overly like smelly or something, it's fine. As long as you're not going to like distract other people. You don't want like a packet of chips that's going to um, annoy everyone. I would normally not, if I'm doing it at home, like, I might have food in the middle, but if I'm doing actual competition, normally they're scheduled, scheduled in a way that, like, they might start after breakfast and end just before lunch or something like that. Normally, I've been okay. Sometimes the adrenaline also just gets you through. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you said you started in high school. Is that right? Yeah. How'd you get started? Like, what initially drew you to competitive programming? So, there's um, a high school program that's run by the Australian Maths Trust. If you've ever done like the math competitions you may have done in high school, they run a lot of those ones, but they also run um, like competitive programming. It's called informatics is another name for it. They run that program for high schoolers. And my teacher was just like, you should do this. And so I learned the very basics of Python and competed. And from there they have um, camps and things where you can learn a lot more and so I got involved in there and that's how I got started in the competitive programming world. Oh okay okay so how long were you programming before your teacher told you to go and try it out? I started programming because of that so. Oh okay okay. So like competitive program was also like your start to like programming in general? Yeah so I was 
fairly young. It was year eight, I think it was. So I, I had tried to start programming beforehand. I think I'd at some point Googled programming because I was interested in it. But, um, you know, starting out programming is very daunting. And without that structure, I really had no idea where to start. And so I had maybe spent a few hours looking, in, looking into programming, maybe earlier that year. I would have been, you know, I don't know, 13 at the time, having no clue what was going on. But competitive programming was when I really started programming. Okay. So were you always interested in, like, these problem-solving things? Like, we're in maths and stuff as well. It's sort of, sort of in the same vein. Yeah, I was one of those, like, kids in primary school who was, like, a big nerd, um, doing all, like, the math stuff. You know, you could probably tell it was coming from when I was younger, mm. we're doing all those math competitions and things like that. Okay, okay. What's the uh, learning curve like? So you said you started off in Python? Yeah. So eventually, did you have to, like, switch to a more professional competitive programming language like C++ or something? Yeah. So the biggest learning curve, especially also now that I'm involved in teaching the high schoolers, because if you start in uni, then you've done perhaps 1511, you can, to an extent, um, code. Starting in high school like I did, and as I've kind of teaching other people to do, um, they really, you don't know how to program, and so that's the biggest hurdle. And it's a very big initial hurdle because... As everyone who's learned to code knows, it's very difficult at the start. And so that hurdle of learning Python for me um, is a long time ago. I can't remember it much, but there certainly was a learning curve there. From that point, the, if you have some problem-solving um, kind of knowledge from the math side, studying competitive programming isn't too bad because the problem-solving skills carry across. And then at some point, I switched over to C++, which is the most commonly used programming language in um, competitive programming and that is also quite a big learning curve as well because it's um, you know Python hides a lot from you which you have to deal with when you're coding in C or C++ so there are those are only the big learning curves and then in competitive programming learn of algorithms some of them are the ones you cover in uni like the graph algorithms um, like stacks and queues priority queues and more advanced data structures and things like that so you've got that learning curve, but that's a bit more gradual than learning to program because you have to program to do competitive programming, but you can over time build up your knowledge of the data structures and algorithms. And so that's a bit of a softer learning curve compared to learning how to program. So why, why C++ in particular? Why is it the one I always see everyone using when they're doing these competitions? So part of the reason would be historical reasons because everyone uses it, but that's not, there are some like positives other than everyone uses it. So the C++ used in competitive programming is not necessarily the C++ you might learn if you do the C++ course at uni or do real C++ programming. It's more like C with the added on standard library because C++ has a fairly big standard library that has heaps of useful things in it um, which you need. Like you can't do competitive programming in C alone because C++ has things like priority queues, sets and map for other things, like built-in sort, a bunch of other useful algorithms that are written there where if you're in C, you'd write them yourself. But essentially the code you write looks a lot like the C code you might write in uni with the added on extra of you have these um, library functions you can call on compared to say um, real C++ where you're doing object oriented stuff, dealing with the um, hassle that is unique pointers if anyone's done C++. So it's kind of that in the middle of C and C++ and the benefits are one, um, the standard library of stuff. Two is the speed. So I think I didn't mention this earlier, but one big aspect of competitive programming is that your code needs to be fast. So normally um, your problem you're dealing with will have large inputs. Potentially you might be given like an array of length 100,000 and you have to do something to it. And your program will have like a one second CPU time limit. And so if you're doing that, then you have to have an efficient algorithm efficient in terms of your time complexity for those who have learned about that in uni. And so you'll need like a linear time or an n log n or you know, um, a fairly fast time complexity as it's called, if you've seen that. And so because C++ is just naturally a faster language along with C, much faster than Python by a pretty big magnitude, if you have a one second time limit, you ha that's a lot more generous in C++ than it is in Python. Some contests give Python a bit of like a longer time limit, like a two times, three times or something limit, but not all contests do that. And even still, 
because of that, it's better to use C++. In recent years, Java has picked up. Java's a bit slower than C++, but not like Python, but it really hasn't taken off like C++. Still dominates with certainly more than 90% of the top competitive programmers would be using C++ as their primary language. Wow, yeah. So like with the time limits um, in a competitive programming competition, is that more related to like how long a program takes to execute rather than like how long it takes you to write it? Yeah. So you obviously you have that contest limit of two to five hours, but importantly, your code needs to run quickly. And so if your code takes over the time limit, normally one second, you just don't get the points. And so often contests will give you partial marks. So a slower algorithm, slower code might get partial points, but um, your code needs to be fast enough to get the points. And so that's why you have to use a fast language and have a fast algorithm because that is, yeah, speed is in a lot of questions, the most important factor. You have to write code that is, um, doesn't just solve the problem, but solves it efficiently in terms of time. So does that mean like typically, I guess, do most people, are most people able to solve the question, but like just not able to reach that time limit? So usually that's true. So you might give a question that's quite straightforward to solve, you know, really slowly. And it's like a, you know, exponential, just brute force over every possible thing and check if it's the right answer. Um, some questions are not. Some questions are quite hard. They might have like a hard greedy algorithm that, you know, requires some like awesome hard maths that is difficult to start off with. But most questions, it's fairly easy to do it slowly, but then doing it fast will be much more difficult. Is that an average time complexity for your solutions? Like you said you needed it to be uh, either linear, usually linear or n log n. Is there any scenario where you could have it, uh, like a suitable answer that runs in like say n squared or n cubed? Yes, so um, most problems will require like a linear or n log n solution, but for some problems that just, you just can't do that. And so they'll give you smaller, they'll give you the bounds. So they might say n, which could be the length of the array or some metric of the input size, the number of numbers they give you. If that's up to like 100,000 is a number that's often used. That means like n or n log n. If they say up to 1,000, that means like n squared will pass. The magic number in competitive programming depends on the judge speed, but normally you can, a, a very rough metric, like an average computer might be able to do between 10 to 100 million operations in a second. And you kind of just use that. You think of your complexity, okay, it's n squared. n is 1,000. 1,000 squared is a million, this solution will pass. That's the maths that you're kind of doing in your head to work out if your algorithm will pass or not. And so some problems have smaller bounds, up to 1,000, up to 2,000, or even up to like 100, which will allow an n cubed or something algorithm. So it depends on the question. Um, just because they allow an n squared doesn't mean it's easier though. It just might just mean that the n squared algorithm is a hard one to come up with. But yes, it does depend on the question, the time complexity they're looking for. Is there, a, uh, is there a particular question that still remains with you to this day? Maybe you've been traumatized or maybe you had a lot of fun doing a question. Is there anything that sticks out? So um, I'm going to give two answers to this question. So the first one is a problem that sticks out in a good way, I think. I mean, the problem itself, if anyone is interested in looking it up, is from IOI 2018. It's called Highways. Um, it's a problem that I sat that contest. It was an in-person contest. I didn't solve the problem. I got partial points on it. And then I came back to it a couple of times over the next year and I eventually solved it. And that's kind of nice to something over a period of close to a year, make progress each time and come back a few months later and finally solve it. Another question that sticks with me is a problem called kangaroo from, um, I think some contests in Europe that I, I didn't do it, but I was given the question afterwards and I came back to it a number of times. I first got this question in maybe like 2017 or something. And it still haunts me because I still haven't solved the problem. <laughs> um, and so that question sticks, sticks with me as well. So is that like something you typically do, like come back to competitive programming questions over the years? Yeah, so if you're practicing, so obviously you do the contests, but if you're practicing for it, you'll just do a question and just think about it over time. And often, like sometimes if you don't solve a question after a while, you might get a hint for it or look up the solution to learn from it. But sometimes you just look at a problem and you think you just want to be able to solve it. And so what I'll do is I'll just put it aside and maybe sometime later I'll come back to it. And the fresh ideas will often lead you somewhere because sometimes you think about something for a while, you keep thinking about the same thing that doesn't work. And if you just forget what your old ideas were and come back, you might have the right idea. And that often does work for practice.
But then sometimes you come back and you just still can't get it, and it, this process repeats. When you are really stuck on a question, um, and you come back to it, are there like certain steps you take to try and uh, solve it, like different methods that you go through, or is it more of like a time thing and you like forget your previous ideas? When it's a period of like weeks or months, and often it's just forgetting or like not being that familiar, and trying to get stuck in the ways of I've just sometimes you get stuck down thinking through one idea, and just like the time can help. So in a contest situation, sometimes I like to take a walk. So often this means um, if you're in like a contest hall, this might just mean like going to the bathroom, even if you like just don't need to go, just like for that short walk. And sometimes, and if you're just at home, then you can just go for a walk. Um, and going for a walk, the nice thing about that is that um, sometimes that just change of environment can help. Often when you're just walking around, an idea will just pop in your head that when you're like semi-thinking about it, but also not completely thinking about it, sometimes a new idea can come in. So like a change of environment, um, walking around, or switching to another problem and then coming back. I think that kind of new look you get from just something changing can help. So like how often exactly do you participate in contests? So I've done it less more recently because I've become more busy with um, uni and other things. But during my like kind of when I was training the most, I would do a practice contest I do a weekly five-hour practice contest, which now seems crazy. I don't know where I had the time for that. Um, so you've got like annual competitions, like the ones run by like Google and Facebook. And then there are websites that run weekly competitions. I try and do them when I can. There's a website called CodeForces, which is the biggest competitive programming website. Um, the problem with that is the contests are normally for us at like one o'clock in the morning. So I don't tend to do those that often because... There's a Japanese website called AtCoder that runs them the more like 9pm on like Saturdays, which is a better time, um, or Sundays. Like it's, it's better than 1 o'clock in the morning, and so I try to do those when I can. These days, I might do one every few weeks, but I guess during my peak, it was one or two a week, plus like quite a bit of practice. So is that like, was that like a five-hour like competition like during uni as well, or was this more during like high school? This is more during high school. Um... During uni, I switched to doing more of the shorter two-hour competitions. The reason being, when I was in high school, I was training for a five-hour competition, and so the best way to train for something is to do that one. Now that I'm in uni, it's not just one competition I'm training for, I'm just training generally. So I'm happy to do these shorter contests that... Because every contest is a little bit different in terms of the style, so the long ones, you have more time to um, like sit and think, and so you're not really rushed. Like, you've got five hours for three questions, you can get partial marks, but... You can think about a question for like an hour, and that's perfectly fine. Whereas in these shorter two-hour competitions that might have five or six questions, it's kind of fast-paced. You've got to be on the ball. And so those different style of contests are, I mean, similar, but there's some different skills. I guess the analogy, it's kind of like running different distances. They're just different. Um, you know, they're similar, but they're different things. Um, and so more recently, I've been doing some of the shorter competitions, and I do them every few weeks now. Is there like a particular style or like particular contest that you prefer or like you lo really look forward to? Yeah, so um, the typical question is you get given some input, you do something to it, you produce the output. But, you know, the very classic question is like given some numbers, add them together. Obviously you wouldn't get that question, but something like that. Given some data, manipulate it in some way. There are these kind of ad hoc, more strange questions that some of them, they're called interactive tasks. We have to, rather than given some input, there's some hidden input and you can ask a certain question to try and find that input. So again, a very simple example is, so you give it, there's a sorted array of numbers, but that's hidden from you. And you can ask the value of like, what is in position five, for example. And using that, you've got to find, is there a 10 in the array or something? And in this case, um, you'd use like binary search where you look in the middle first and then split on either side. And they're these sort of questions, I obviously get more advanced than that where there's some hidden information, you can ask some sort of query, and you've got to find that hidden information using as few queries as possible. I like those sort of questions. Um, and I, I just find them fun. Um, and so some contests have them more than others. They're kind of a controversial thing within competitive programmers. People either love them or hate them. Um, I'm on the love them side of it. I also like questions that are, there are some like unique questions that have a different format. It's like a one of a kind sort of question, which you see occasionally. I again like those sort of different questions because they kind of throw a curveball and they're interesting. 
So I like the competitions which have these more strange questions. Which particular competitions would those be? So um, Google's competition tends to have those. Codeforces, which is um, the Russian website which runs a lot of competitions, they have them occasionally, but whenever they do, I mean, some people love them and a lot of people just in the comments are just getting annoyed. The informatic style ones, which are the five-hour, three-question style competitions, they have those questions quite a lot, and that's what I was, did a lot of my early training for. Um, so those are the competitions which have them more often. Are there like notorious names in competitive programming? If you're in a competitive program competition, and I don't know if there's like a list of competitors or like usernames or something, if there was someone there, would you be like, oh my god? So, I mean, so the big name is Tourist. What's his name? Genedy? Don't know his last name. Um, but he's just known as Tourist. He is like, hands down, just like the best competitive programmer. He's been doing it for a long time. And so like on Codeforces, there's like a rating. Um, and he's like always at the top. Occasionally, like he'll drop down. And then someone else will be top, and then he'll be back there in like a few weeks' time. Um, he is just like the best, um, essentially uncontested for like the past 10 years. And so you see him, and he'll always be like first or second or up there. There are other names which, um, more recently, there's the names of like Ben Cheese person or William Lin, who are more recent kind of like big names. But Tourist is definitely the, um, the top. Does your heart sink in your chest? If you see him like on the leaderboard or something, like I, I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure. Do you get to see the other contestants? It, it depends on the competition. A lot of them you do though, and so you can see the leaderboard. Um, and that kind of adds an aspect to it because it's a bit distracting sometimes. Just look at it, or like you can. I mean, you either feel good or you feel bad depending on where you are on the leaderboard, <laughs> and it can be a bit demoralizing if you just can't get a question. You see, but everyone else has got it. Mm. Um, but. I mean, I would, my heart wouldn't sink because his name's going to be at the top anyway. My name's going to be nowhere near there. <laughs> um, but that's the big name. They also have a way to like add people as like friends and you can like see your friends leaderboards. So it's kind of nice to see other people that you know who are doing that competition and you know, see how you're doing and have some like, you know, friendly um, competition between you. Mm. So there's, a, uh, there's sort of like a sense of community around the, the scene, right? Yeah, there is, which is quite nice. Mm. So this, is, it, is it quite like a tight-knit community? Is it, I, I would imagine like the community as a whole is quite small. You know, competitive programming is kind of like a niche subject. Yeah. Is there, do you know many other competitive programmers? So within like a country, normally it's quite tight-knit. So most of the competitive programmers in Australia, like a lot of the top, kind of, everyone knows each other. And I mean, a lot of them come to UNSW. It tends to attract competitive programmers. Um, and like we have the... You mentioned the competitive programming, CPM SOC, which I'm part of. Um, so a lot of people there. And a lot of people, not everyone, like a lot of competitive programmers start in high school because that's when you have a lot more free time normally and go on to uni. And obviously starting earlier normally um, gives you that boost. So a lot of people, not everyone though, there are many people who started in university as well. And so you get to know them through, it's normally the on-site competitions where you meet people. And so when you're traveling internationally as well, you meet people from other countries. That's been less so recently. Like I don't really... Um, know as many people from overseas because COVID. Um, but certainly within like your country or your uni, the communities tend to be quite tight-knit. And you, you're the president of CPMSOC, correct? Yeah. What kind of events do you guys hold? Like, what do you do as a society? Yeah, so we... So the society is both competitive programming and competitive maths. Competitive maths is, I guess, competitive programming, but for maths, doing um, those maths competition things, like maths Olympiads. I'm less involved on that side. Like, I come from competitive programming. I've done a bit of competitive maths, but I come from the competitive programming side. But we have the two different teams within the society who obviously, there is movement between the two and everyone knows each other. And we, but we kind of do similar stuff in like these two different streams. So we have weekly workshops alternating between maths and programming. We can come along, the directors will go through some problems or teach them topic. We give pizza, you have a chance to chat and meet people. Other than that, um, we run competitions sometimes. Like we run one with CSE SOC earlier this year. I mean, last year we ran two of CSE SOC. I think we're planning on doing that again. One, perhaps in term three, um, details to come. We plan on running mass competitions as well on the math side. So these competitions, you get some sponsors and hopefully we're better to go to the, doing them in person soon because back in the day, our society is new, but these competitions were run in person before. And so then everyone can go, you're in teams, you can like have a good time. I find them a good time. They can be a bit stressful, obviously, but if you can just take them a little bit not too seriously, then, 
and you know you're on site then it's a good time and then we also run we have a social team and run social events and that sort of thing okay very cool uh now that we're talking about uni are there any prereqs i mean apart from I mean, knowing how to code i would imagine it's pretty important skill to have before you start entering competitions but is there anything specific you need to know or can we just like jump in the biggest other than knowing how to code you need to understand like time complexity like your bigger notation which i think is covered in 2521 um and so and also the other algorithms you cover in 2521 i think that would be um a very like a good prerequisite because at that point like you need to know how to tell if a solution is fast enough or not and knowing how to bigger notation is enough for that and so that's one thing and then like very basic um algorithms things like you know what a graph is and what a tree is and things like that are quite useful because those things will appear and that would i think be the main prereq to get started okay how, how often do those data structures appear in your questions so um often a question will as part of the solution use some sort of data structure whether that be like a stack or a queue might appear fairly often more advanced like a priority queue yeah they're like certainly um like every contest will have at least one data structures question normally there is something called a segment tree, which is a kind of competitive programming data structure, which is more advanced, but once you get to a certain level, you kind of see them everywhere. And they appear quite often as well. Um, so I would say these data structures, yeah, they appear fairly often. Maybe a third of questions might use some sort of data structure, complex data structure somewhere in their solution. Would you recommend Comp 4128? So I get asked this question quite a bit because I'm a tutor for that course. Um, and... The answer I give is on just saying that I didn't do the course myself, um, but I've not a lot of people have done it, obviously. And the general feedback I get is that the sh very short answer is it is a lot of work, but you get a lot out of it. And so I wouldn't blankly recommend it. How the course works is it's a competitive programming course, but at the heart of it, what that means is it's like an algorithms course, but the difference with your other algorithms course is that you're doing a lot of coding in this one, which is in C++. Because if you do the other algorithms courses at uni, mostly you're not doing that much programming. In this one, essentially every algorithm you come up with, you're also coding it up. And so from what I've heard from the feedback we normally get is that this programming like does just help your general programming because you get to be able to like do things faster. You write a lot of code and so those skills just improve. It improves your problem solving. The actual skills you learn will help you in competitive programming and probably in interviews as well. They won't... This, the exact algorithms you learn will probably not be very useful in the workforce, but like from what I've heard, the skills you get from actually doing the questions, like that programming skills are useful. But the, the big um, like caveat is that it's a lot of work. Um, so if you're happy to put in the time and you perhaps have a lighter load in that term, then I would recommend giving it a try. But if you want like an easy WAM booster, then don't do COM4128. <laughs> Who needs this HDWAM anyway? <laughs> uh, sort of in the same vein, how different are competitive programming questions, like either in the course that we just talked about or in the competitions, how different would you say they are from like a normal like course, like homework, assignment, lab, stuff like that? So depending on what course you're doing, a lot of courses obviously focus on getting you to actually do the programming. So they might describe, um, here's what you're coding and you code that. Obviously there's some a planning step in the middle, but normally what you're doing is not um, the big hard part of it, it's how you're going to code it up. In competitive programming, it's all about the algorithm you're solving it with, similar to perhaps the algorithm courses. But generally, it's less standards, it's less just apply some modern algorithm. It's more, you might use a modern algorithm, but most of it is coming up with your own ideas to solve the problem. There are obviously similarities between questions, but it's not just, oh, I apply this thing that I've learned about, done. It's more like I have to think about and actually problem solve. And so that's some differences. The other difference is just a difficulty level. So competitive programming, and this is one thing about 4128, is that it, your raw mark will be like really low, but like it scales nicely, don't worry. They don't have to worry about that too much. But in competitive programming, like solving half the questions is normally considered really good. And so this is perhaps very different from uni where, you know, if you solve half the questions, Depending on the course, that would normally mean um, you know you're struggling. Whereas in competitive programming, like even like sometimes solving like two out of ten can be a good thing. 
that if it's a really hard contest. And so, you know, two out of ten is not normally what Mark people would like to hear in uni. Um, so that's one difference is that these questions are really hard and you probably won't solve a lot of them. You'll solve some of them. You might get partial marks on some, but you have to think about them for a long time sometimes. And that's perhaps one key difference between your uni work and competitive programming. Um, so I guess like you mentioned before about uh, starting CP when you were like in high school. So like, how would you like recommend starting CP um, to other people? Yeah, so I guess the audience for this is uni students, so I'll go from that angle. So the first one is you have to learn how to code, but that normally if you're doing comp sci isn't, um, like you, you learn how to do that within your uni courses, that's all good. From there, um, I mean, there's do for one to eight, but the problem with that is that's at the end of your degree normally because it's you got all the prereqs before you get there. So do a contest, whether, like, I mean, the plug is come along to CPMSOC and learn, but I actually, that is meeting other people who do competitive programming is a very good start because if you're on your own, It'll just be lonely. So meeting other people who do it is good. You can you know do contests together, whether that's like literally doing it together in a team, or um, just doing the same thing you know at the same time but separately and then talking about it afterwards. In uni, there's contests called ICPC, which is um, International Collegiate Programming Competition. They have like regionals and divisionals, which you make a team of three at uni and you can just register for that. That's some point in term three, maybe October, I think. I think that's early term three. And so you can make a team for that. Um, again, if you want to meet people, come on to CPM Slock events um, and you can meet and we'll have team finding events at the time. But just you and like two other friends as well, just like three people, register and just do it. And if you enjoy it, then it's a matter of just, there are some websites like Codeforces at Coder. Mention them before. Just do contests there if you're interested or do practice questions. And the best way to improve is to just solve problems and do contests. And then there's also the theory you have to learn, which the relevant algos uni courses will get you part of the way, and then just learning outside, whether that's with with other people normally, is how I'd recommend getting started. Just yeah, the short answer is just do a contest, and you know, if you enjoy it, just get more involved in the community. Is there anything that beginners should like avoid? Yeah. So the one thing that um, a lot of people do when they get started is just read up and learn like a bunch of advanced algorithms. There are like, you can go way on like things like um, two advanced algorithms like FFT, um, like I can just name a bunch of things like treats, I don't know, dynamic graph connectivity. Um, these just words, centric decomp, just terms that are complicated things, which um, I guess FFT actually is taught at uni, but the other ones like you never encounter anywhere except competitive programming. And like one in a thousand questions might need use them but only the really hard questions. And so when you're getting started, you don't just want to learn and learn, 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 learn a bunch of algorithms because you'll find you'll know all these algorithms, but you'll have no idea how to solve a question with them. So what you instead want to do is focus on solving problems and gaining problem solving skills. And as like, if you see a problem and over time as you, like, you can't solve a problem, you might read the solution and see, oh, that uses this algorithm. I'll now learn this algorithm. You can learn them at a slower pace because like 90 plus percent of questions will use only the more basic algorithms as opposed to these more advanced things which will take you ages to learn and you might see in a contest once. So in terms of practicing, is leak code any good? So, I mean, leak code, so the style of leak code and competitive programming is a bit different, but it totally helps. And... Obviously, the benefit of leak code is that those are the sort of questions you'll see in interviews, which is obviously something which, you know, every ComSci student is thinking about. And so if your goal is just competitive programming, the leak code is not the best place to be. But if your goal is like competitive programming plus interviews, then, I mean, leak code is going to help you, obviously. I have not grinded leak code myself, so I, I'm not the number one um, authority on leak code. But the main difference from like my experience is that Leaco questions are more about like applying algorithms you know because they're I guess testing your knowledge and things like that. There are obviously problem solving involved there, but competitive programming is much more do problem solving. You might have a question sometimes that doesn't really involve any standard um, techniques, and so there are some differences in that um, leak code is more standard, um, your classical problems, and competitive programming is more ad hoc 
kind of one-of-a-kind problems. But certainly Lee Kobe will make you better to an extent. So sort of in the same vein, so for you, competitive programming is the hobby, but does it actually manifest itself like in a, in a useful way? So sort of when you're, when you're preparing for an interview, you know, for an internship or something, do you feel like your experience in competitive programming has helped you? Yeah, so the one thing is that um, technical interviews, like they have the Leap Coast style thing, which is, is similar to competitive programming. So if you've done a lot of competitive programming, it does make technical interviews um, a lot easier. I guess a whole other question is whether technical interviews should be having these questions in them, which is perhaps, I mean, my opinion is probably not, which might be a bit surprising, but it's the way the world works. These questions, most technical interviews will have them. And so if you do competitive programming, these questions will be generally easier and you won't have to worry as much about the technical interview side of things. So yes, I would say competitive programming does help with um, these technical interviews where they get you to you know, do leak code style questions. How much of your competitive programming like knowledge and skills have come from more of a classroom setting versus like self-learning or like users using like resources and guides online? So in my case, I like learned a lot from like going to like camps and things. And so I learned a lot in a classroom setting in terms of the knowledge sort of like the algorithm and stuff. And you can learn those on online. I didn't go through that route, but certainly there are some like Code Forces had a lot of good tutorials. Something called like the Competitive Programming Handbook, which I think is quite good. Another website called CP Algorithms, which is also like quite good, which you can learn. I personally learned from like a lot of in classroom setting. But then the actual problem-solving ability, you, you can't get taught that. You just got to do questions, no matter how hard people try. You can't teach someone to be a good problem-solver. You can give them some tips, but ultimately you've got to sit down and do it. And that's where most of the improvement will happen. So how do you get better at problem-solving? Because it is a very, very big part, right? You need to figure out how to solve it before you mess around with all the coding and debugging. Is there, a, is there sort of like a step-by-step -step process you have? Or do you just sort of wing it, I guess? So, I kind of wing it, but some things, some like common pitfalls is don't immediately think in terms of code. Like often people start out, they immediately think like, I'll use a for loop here, I'll use an array here. That's further along the line. You first want to have like the abstract thought of like, okay, I'll get these numbers, I'll sort these numbers, I'll then get the number in the middle, things like that. Or I might um, find the biggest number in the array and then do something. So. You, th you think in terms of more abstract ideas rather than, I'll use a for loop to do this at the start. And so often that's just thing about the process on paper. Part of it's sometimes like, what would I, I do if I was solving this by hand? Like what method would I go through? And sometimes that might correlate to a basic algorithm. And then you get to a point where you then as a separate second step, you start playing out the code. And so thinking in terms of not code is a good starting point. Otherwise, it's notoriously hard to teach. It's more just, sometimes you do questions and then if you can't solve them, you might, if you're in a classroom setting, then you'll get, like you might get told the solution to problems. If you're on your own, you might say set a timer and say, if I can't solve this after 15 minutes or, or half an hour or some amount of time, I might look at a hint or read the solution. At that point then, once you get a look at, here are the sort of things which other problems do, that might give you inspiration on how to start yourself. In terms of uh, problem solving, like does having a peer or friend competing with you help? Like, is it helpful to sometimes bounce ideas off each other or like work on separate things? Or does it sometimes like, do you sometimes, I guess, butt heads or like it gets a bit complicated? So certainly working in a team can add complications, not necessarily in terms of just like disagreements, but more just how do you effectively manage working in a team? So in ICPC, the uni competition, how it works is it's um, one computer for three people. And so you can only have one person typing at a time. And so you've got to effectively manage keyboard time. So if one person is struggling to debug, you've got to balance letting them debug versus letting you code a different question up. And that certainly can add some complications in how do you effectively manage time. And do you work together on a problem? Do you work on different problems? If done well, then I think having someone else there to bounce ideas off can be very useful. Or someone to double check your ideas to make sure you're not wrong. That can certainly save time. So I think, like I still haven't perfectly cracked how to do good teamwork and competitive programming, but sometimes when you do work well together, 
you suddenly enjoy the benefit of having a team. Whereas if you don't do it well, it's just kind of like three people competing separately, but you're all using the same computer. <laughs> so which, which approach do you usually prefer in a team environment? Would you have all three people working on one question or would you rather branch out? Early on, you'd branch out, you'd get, you know, knock off the easy ones separately. Um, that might be the first half or less or more, depending on the competition. And then towards the end, um, often these competitions have scoreboards, so you can approximately gauge what are the easy, what are the hards. If there's a question that's got heaps of solves, you probably send one person to look at it and do it on their own. And you might get to a point where there aren't that many questions left or there aren't that many questions that's, that seem approachable that are left. At which point you might you'll share ideas either someone might think about it and be like these are my ideas so far i'm going to move to a different problem you can go from here or it might be you just actually work together and bounce off ideas that would happen yeah when you're dealing with the very hard questions once you've knocked off all the easy ones and you have a couple of hard ones left then you'd work together to try and do them as caitlin said before is there much conflict sometimes like so sort of if you have uh, a question and two of your members have like two different solutions and they're arguing about, I don't know, which one's faster, which one's better. Has that ever happened before? Is that a common problem? I'd say normally not because normally you can tell what one's um, better, like, like you know, you've got time complexity. Um, and then one's easy to code is normally maybe a bit debatable, but normally you work it out. I guess, I mean, not like this is not a conflict. It was just, I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but... A team member accidentally overwrote my code on the computer and we lost it. And it was like, it was a debugger and it was, I mean, it's MaxFlow, which is an algorithm, which is kind of hard to code. It's had to code it up again. We managed, we didn't do it badly in the end, so it was okay. But that was, I mean, I was a bit annoyed at the time because obviously <laughs> this code I'd written had, I mean, it was going to be an accident, but he called his file the same thing. And obviously he had clicked the yes, that you want to override this. I don't know how it happens, but it, it did. And so at the time I was a little bit, you know, annoyed as you would be. I mean, now I just laugh about it, but that's probably the closest I've got to having a conflict in the team. <laughs> is it is it quite mentally draining? Like I must be like imagine it must be quite tiring to like for five hours just to focus on a bunch of really hard programming problems. Yeah, it it, it can be. So sometimes beforehand, I kind of get the feeling of just like the last minute. It was like contests where like I don't have to do it, like an online one. I'm just doing for fun. Yeah, beforehand, it's like I thought of. Especially the ones in the middle of the night. It's like, do I really want to be here? I could, I could, like, I sometimes wake up for these 1am competitions and I'm just like lying in bed or getting up and I'm like, um, why am I doing this? Can I just go to sleep? And then you do it and like the adrenaline kicks in and it's all good. And at least for me, for the period of the competition, it's completely fine. And then afterwards, yeah, um, it, it, it's draining. Sometimes it's draining in a different way. Like if you don't solve a question, you just can't get it out of your mind. And you try and do something else. Um, or sometimes you're just like completely brain dead and you just want to like lie down and do nothing for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, so is there anything in particular you do like in the hours or like the day before an important competition or like ways to like wind down after um, just going through a competition? So one thing I do, and I can do this generally in competitions, um, is that in the lead up, like the morning beforehand or whatever, I try not to um, do like last minute practice or like cramming. Because some people do that, um, but I find, at least for me, like if I've been preparing for this for a long time, an extra two hours of preparation is not going to change anything. And so I like to just, either the night before or the morning of, depending on when it is, just take that off and you know, get an early night or just try and do something like, you know, watch a show or something. Something that's completely take my mind off to kind of relax beforehand. And then kind of in the hours, minutes leading up to it, I try and like keep my mind off it, maybe have a snack, have a drink, things like that. Um, and essentially just try and keep my mind off it until it, get, until it starts. So is there any warm up you need to do? Like, I, I would imagine it's not so much as an athlete doing stretches before they start running, but is there anything mentally you do to like, I don't know, hype yourself up or you know, get in the zone? So not too much. So in some competitions, um, you're allowed pre-reading code. And so I'll just like, I mean, this is not warming up. It's like getting the temp, like getting everything ready so that I have um, like some templates set up so I don't have to like write everything from scratch during the contest. But otherwise, not really. I just try and um, 
forget about everything else that's going on. You know, I turn my phone off, things like that. Um, and just try and think, having, having nothing else where possible, having nothing else on my mind is what I try and do. Mm. So sort of focusing your entire attention on the, uh, on the yep. program. Okay. So how's like competitive programming influence, like what internships you're drawn to or like uh, what comp courses you're doing as well? Or uh, is it like something you still want to get involved in in the future or maybe not so much? So I think in the future, at least while I'm in uni, I want to keep teaching it because I enjoy that and um, it's a good job and things like that. Beyond that, I'm not really sure. Like most competitive programmers stop when they start working, largely just due to the like time is a big thing as well. Um, once you're working full time and things like that, I don't know. I might like continue competing like just um, recreationally, just occasionally do a contest when I have time. Things like that is kind of what I hope to do at the moment but not continue it like as much as I do now. In terms of influencing my uni, so I really like the theoretical courses. So I've been picking a lot of um, like the algorithms courses or the theory courses uh, that the uni has to offer and I've like enjoyed them so far. And so I'm also um, like interested in computer science research. I don't know how much I like it, whether I wanna like continue and do postgrad, I'm not sure yet. But I'm doing at the moment the taste of research scholarship thing, which is a lot like so I'm working um, like doing some algorithms stuff with um, one of the researchers, which is nice and I enjoy that. And so I think competitive programming has opened my eye to this world a bit. It's something I find interesting, and I'm gonna go further down. And whether I'll keep going the research or not, I have no clue. But certainly, it's something that I'm gonna explore and see if I like it. Any <clears throat> any events you want to plug? Anything from your society that you would like to? Maybe tell the listeners. Yeah, so I'll plug the CPM SOC stuff again. So first of all, um, so CPM SOC, which is the Competitive Programming and Mathematics Society. Check us out on, um, like, I'm a joint Discord server, like our Facebook, all that stuff. And so our events, we have the workshops, weekly workshops. Depending on when you're listening to this, I recommend getting involved. They'll be running, you know, throughout all the terms. So I'm not sure when this will be launched, but there'll be a workshop around that time. Um, so come along. Give it a try. We are on, the contest we are on a team competition, so just get some friends and do it. You don't have to take it seriously. Often, like, the name competitive programming, there's a whole conversation in, in competitive programming about should we rename it because the name itself scares people off. But um, if you're just doing it for fun and you just set aside, like, a few hours to do a competition, like, if we have in-person ones, then we'll give you free pizza and stuff. And so if you have time, recommend coming along to them. Um, when, when they run, um, they'll be... Like, if you like us on social media and stuff and join our Discord, you'll get the announcements. And so, yeah, come on to those, and I hope I see you there. All right. Well, a big thank you to Angus for joining us today. It's been really interesting talking to you about all things competitive programming, and we wish you and CPM Sock all the best in your future competitions. Thanks to everyone listening for tuning in. We really hope you've enjoyed this Echo podcast, and make sure to check out the CSC Sock Media website for other podcasts, videos, articles, and more. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.